Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things that they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find that they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular or at least their sense of it. They can only enact legislation within a narrow set of priorities, and this range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Every state operates selective business subsidy programs uh, where they provide cash and other favors to a handful of companies, and it would be better off for everyone if they didn't. They're ineffective at creating jobs, unfair to the businesses that don't get them, and expensive to state budgets. Yet the fact that they exist shows that they serve an important political function, if not an economic one. Now, while some lawmakers are enthusiastic boosters of these programs, even reluctant lawmakers feel like they cannot afford to give up their ability to subsidize select businesses. That is, if some projects are going to go to the states that hand out favors, they have to compete in those contests. And this is where Dan Johnson of Progressive Political Affairs, a lobbying agency in Illinois, comes in. As a personal project, he has worked with lawmakers across the country to introduce legislation where states would agree with each other to stop offering new deals to companies. This interstate compact to end corporate tax giveaways has been introduced in 15 states. Dan, why do you care about this issue? Well, uh, thank you. It's great to be here. Um, I should first start off by saying uh, people like you are actually doing a tremendous amount of work. And I like to play uh, a small but helpful role in connecting uh, leaders like yourself that are connecting with legislative leaders. And you've done phenomenal work in Michigan, so I want to applaud you for all of that. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, for listeners, um, we are uh, we are working on this issue. Michigan is one of the 15 states that has introduced these compacts, and uh, we, we helped uh, lawmakers get a bipartisan group of co-sponsors for this one. We're optimistic. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But, um, so thanks for having me on and for all your leadership and the Senate's leadership on the issue. Uh, I care about it because um, I get to spend a lot of time with legislators, and I can see when a big company comes a calling and, you know, metaphorically puts a gun to the head of the legislators and the governor and says, give me money or I will leave. Uh, even if everyone knows. And I'll tell everyone in the news about it. Yeah, and that it's all your fault and uh, that I'm big enough to generate some headlines. And so pay me. Uh, or I walk. Uh, and it's, you know, not unlike negotiating with terrorists. And I just find it uh, appalling. And I have a lot of empathy for the governors and the legislators that are put under enormous pressure to pony up uh, and to pay the ransom, which is essentially what it is. And the one that kind of struck with me is uh, the Chicago Board of Exchange, um, which is, you know, in Chicago. They felt they were paying too much in taxes, and they essentially demanded that the legislature change the tax code to cut their tax bill. And a lot of my friends on both sides of the aisle, you could see, were just under enormous pressure not to be the reason why, you know, CBOE left Chicago for some other place, even though it was pretty clear it was all just a, a bluff and just a, an excuse to pay tens of millions of dollars less. Um, it's just the wrong way to do policy. And, um, 
if there's a way that I can help move us away from it, um, I'm delighted to do it. Uh, can you etch out what the compact is and how it works? Sure. So the idea is um, it's a prisoner's dilemma in that every state feels like uh, they have to compete as to how big a ransom they'll pay to a big company. The bigger the company, it seems like the bigger the ransom. And Amazon's, you know, sort of uh, disgusting auction uh, of their Amazon HQ2 a few years ago was a big impetus for uh, trying to fix this through the interstate compact. But the idea is, well, how do we get uh, enough of us that all feel like this is a bad game that we're all playing? And it's a horrible use of precious taxpayer dollars. And it uh, perpetuates uh, wealth inequality among businesses because the bigger you are, the less you pay, leading the rest of us to pay, you know, pick up the freight. Uh, but how do we quit doing it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you could just say, well, we're just not going to compete, but that's a, a challenging position for a governor or a legislature to be in. And instead, we could say, well, let's all agree that we will lay down our swords together and let's all agree that we won't, uh, we'll make it illegal to offer these subsidies by uh, creating uh, an agreement among the states. And that's what an interstate compact is, uh, which is just a legally binding agreement to take a certain action. So things like the Powerball for the lottery, that's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's an interstate compact. Uh, the New York, New Jersey Port Authority, right? That's an interstate compact. There's a there's a billion of them, right? About insurance, <laughs> yeah, veterans, and all sorts of stuff. You know, uh, you know, driver's licenses and how you deal with fugitives and a lot of there's a lot of interstate compacts out there. Licensure for nurses, stuff like that. And so this one is just about economic development policy to say we won't offer a subsidy uh, to a special uh, company specific subsidy if another state won't offer a company-specific subsidy. And so when enough of states agree to do it, then it's illegal to do it. Yeah, and this is a way of leveraging that excuse of saying, look, we don't feel comfortable doing this one, but if other states are doing it, we've got to have these things too, and agreeing with other states, hey, well, maybe we don't actually have to do this. Right, right. And and what I like about this, too, is that um, I think a lot, a lot of lawmakers are reluctant about these things. I mean, the people who support them, they just love them. They think it's a great idea. It's a great idea for you to give me money. Um, it's, it's great for everyone if you give me money. Um, but this one, uh, for those skeptical lawmakers that feel that they have to compete, this is a way of saying, OK, maybe for this project where they say that that, that we need to do this, We'll do it. But in the future, let's agree with others that this isn't the kind of competition we want. Uh, so yeah. like, that's why I think it's a brilliant idea. Hey, well, look, um, you know, your work on uh, laying out what are the parameters of it might look like has been very helpful. And um, I think it appeals to a lot of legislators who might feel like, hey, on Project X to get this company to stay or to come, uh, I don't want to kill that project. But uh, even boosters kind of feel like, yeah, it's not great. It's not great to cut a ribbon only because they don't have to pay taxes like everybody else does, or we're just shoveling money at a particular company. Um, mm -hmm. So over the medium to long term, this is uh, the hope is we'll build a, a bipartisan consensus 
that this sort of company-specific subsidies ought to be illegal, and then we'll make it illegal. Yeah. Well, and it's not just bipartisan, too, but it's also cross-ideological. Like, like both sides, like, they don't want to compete over how much how much special favors we can give to individual companies. We want to compete over quality of life issues. We want to say we're the best place to be. Now, sometimes there's different ideas of exactly what that means, but we agree that it doesn't mean the place that gives out the biggest in, uh, special incentives to companies that ask for them. Yes, I, I think the idea is, you know, maybe it's a, a red uh, competition that, hey, look, we have the lowest tax burden, the lowest regulatory burden, or a blue vision where, look, we've got the best public services and the best infrastructure and the best educated workforce. But the idea is any company or any employer gets the advantage of living and growing their business in that community, not just those that shake down the government decision makers for a specific check just for them. And that, yeah. you know, it's, it's less of a competition and more of, you know, a shakedown, which, uh, you know, ought to be illegal. And the whole vision of uh, ending these tax giveaways is uh, we can make it illegal. We just all have to get enough government to agree. I, they're willing not to do it if the other governments are willing not to do it as well. Yeah. And you brought up something that I think is is really important for people to understand about this issue is that like the companies that get these deals are a small part of the economy. Like they're not responsible for the majority of job creations. The, the states that offer the most uh, or the most deals to companies aren't the ones that grow the fastest. I mean, these things don't justify their costs, but they also influence just a tiny fraction of the economy, even when they when they present themselves as, no, I'm the big company, I'm the important one. If I come to you, you're, you'll be the state of the future. It just doesn't work out that way. Yeah, they just they get the headlines and they get the attention, but their actual impact on employment is surprisingly small relative to the attention that they command. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, in, and even when uh, companies like it's rare that these things actually succeed the way that they uh, propose them to do, like then the number of jobs in the press release is rarely how many jobs actually get created. But even then, there are ancillary costs that are, are associated when you have to give these companies other taxpayer dollars. Like yeah. we're building fewer roads when we have to subsidize these uh, uh, these companies. Yeah. But I mean. Here's the big question for us. What needs to happen for these bills to get passed? So um, you've got a great sense of that as well. But I think um, more thought leaders, people that care about policy, um, you know, left, right, and center, people that care about economic growth, uh, and more elected officials, I think, need to feel like it is in our state, in our region's best interest that we uh, spend our money other ways, either cutting taxes on everybody or buying public services that benefit everybody. But we don't want to have a line item anymore on tax expenditures for specific companies. And if they come to that conclusion, um, and it's rare to find somebody that is enthusiastic about that use of our public mm -hmm. dollars. It's rare to find somebody that says, um, this is great, and we should do more of it. And if only we could 10x 
how much money mm-hmm. shoveling at a specific company. It's more. Uh, well, now I have met true believers, and I think uh, usually it's it's people who are like they're. I mean, part of the excuse that that happens on this one is that these programs don't really cost anything to the taxpayer because there's going to generate economic. Uh, benefits, and we're going to tax that, and that's going to pay its full freight, and that's going to pay for these deals. And when you look on the outside, it's like there's a lot of assumptions that you have to do to get there, and then you have to ignore all skepticism that this company would do, uh, uh, might do exactly the same thing that they would do in lieu of uh, state support. Probably. So, I mean, it'd be it'd be a ridiculously poorly managed company if. You know, quality of the workforce, quality of the transportation assets, access to their markets, right? All of that was irrelevant. And all they cared about is how little in taxes they paid to their local or state government, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it that way, it just seems absurd on its face. Or in this case, how much um, money they can get from these local tax bases. Right, right. So I, I just, I think that Typically, the true believers feel like this particular project, we're doing it right, right? Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. really like this particular project. But I think when pressed, wouldn't it be better if we didn't do any of this stuff? I found at least a lot of them, you know, like Governor Cuomo in New York, right? Big booster of this stuff, right? Big believer in the Amazon Mm -hmm. HQ2. Uh, But even he would say like, well, it's kind of a shame we have to do this. So, I I mean, maybe you've got a different experience. Uh, And I think some people get particularly invested in their particular project that they helped, you know, negotiate or get behind. And they really believe in the return on investment, even though they almost never work out. Uh, But I think as a policy, even the boosters feel like, well, it is a atrociously bad use of public dollars. We we shouldn't be, you know, if we're going to cut taxes, we should cut taxes marginally on everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what we should be spending our money on so that the 99% of the employers that are generating 95% of the job growth, they're the ones that get the benefit as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really hard uh, to fight the political benefits that lawmakers can get from supporting these things. You get an example, you get to show up at a ribbon cutting ceremony or groundbreaking ceremony. And if you vote no on this, that doesn't happen. And I think that's one of the primary reasons why there's so many of these programs that exist across the country is that it it, it provides a good political benefit to particular lawmakers. And what I hope happens on the alternative is that people actually get credit when they say no to these things. Right. Because I think if, if the political benefits of saying no to these things are stronger, then it's easier for lawmakers to say no to them. I think you're right. I think ultimately more uh, Americans... Uh, need to take the view that they understand that uh, you might be able to see a picture of a big corporate executive cutting a ribbon with one of our elected officials, but understand, I don't want to see that because I know I am the one that is paying for that. Yeah. yeah. And so the more, uh, you know, Americans and voters that say, I, I don't want us, I don't want to spend my money on those press releases and staged appearances anymore. I want you to spend our money on better schools or a lower tax burden or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is, but that benefits everybody, not just creates the pop. Yeah, and it's like, look, I would 
be happy if lawmakers showed up to these type of events that you know, you have a growing economy, you're attracting more places. I just don't want our tax dollars to be involved in that. I don't want special treatment. I don't want uh, uh, this, this game to be played in order to get that result. Yes, yes. Because the more Americans come to understand uh, that's not how actual economic growth works, the closer we'll get to more uh, elected officials feeling like, great, let's let's dump this, you know, old school way of buying jobs. And instead, let's pay for a, a general economic system that benefits everybody. And let's pass the compact. Let's make these things illegal. Yeah. Let's give let's give politicians credit for passing these compacts. Absolutely. Uh, and by the way, this is this is the how the Overton window shifts. Like right now, it's well within the Overton window to hand out these subsidies and these programs. Why? Because they're they're they serve a political function, and people aren't that skeptical of it. But the moment that the popularity shifts, like that, we can change that sense that politicians have that our elected officials have about how tolerant um, they are, people are of these things. When that shifts, then I think you can see a strong tidal wave. It will go from 15 states introducing these things to the majority of states agreeing that, the, that this is the wrong way to go. And I give a lot of credit to the state legislators that are really leading the effort, right? Uh, the, there's a, the, the legislators in Michigan, you know, it's an extraordinary group of bipartisan leaders. And it does take some political courage to stand out and say, this is the right policy. And it's easy for somebody to say, well, gee, you're against jobs. But I think it takes vision and dedication and diligence because you know how difficult it is to build support for passing a bill. And the fact mm -hmm. that some politicians are willing to spend their political capital and their time uh, building support for this, I admire and appreciate. And they're the ones that are ultimately um, the ones that are gonna get this thing uh, done to finally end our wasteful tax giveaways. I should plug the website where these legislators are listed at endtaxgiveaways.org. Yeah, so the our primary sponsor, it's a Senate Minority Leader, and he, he mentioned to us uh, about these programs that you know, he had supported these things in the past. He had supported programs to do this one, but it didn't help his area turn around. Like he's representing Flint and he said, there's a better way of, of doing this. And I think that is a message that should have broad bipartisan appeal. And it's just a matter of saying it long enough with enough force to, to get people to agree with it. But you're in a better perspective, uh, perspective you, you have a better perspective on this issue than I do. And so I kind of want to know what really do lawmakers get from introducing this legislation and championing it through their legislatures? You know, I found uh, the legislators that are interested in it uh, and spend the time and talk to their colleagues, you know, they could work on any bill, right? And they've all got lots of issues that they want to work on uh, and they all want to improve their communities. But those that sort of choose to spend some time in this one, um, I think they're also similarly disgusted with the size and scope of special tax breaks. I think they see it uh, and they're sort of revolted by the notion that the the most profitable companies continue to get bigger vis-a-vis -vis mm -hmm. every other business out there. Um, and it's it's just sort of a, a it's it's a bad way of running our, our our states and a bad way of running businesses. And so I think they um 
you know, it's also kind of fun. It's a fun issue to work on. It's fun to be in touch with other legislators in other states. Uh, and it's fun to think that, um, you know, working hard in one state, it might have a national impact, right? I mean, the 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 numbers are pretty big when you add them all up. And there's no uh, precise data, but, you know, people think it might be $80 billion a year. By the way, that's crazy, too, that, the, the, that we're, these programs are so intransparent that we don't know how much money we're spending on them. Right. Um, I mean, this is one of the problems that lawmakers have when they're doing this one. If, they're, if their incentive is to ignore the cost, then they're not really interested in reporting on what these things actually cost. Now, what I found from this, um, uh, from my thing is that, I mean, it is a lot. Like, like uh, um, even with, uh, with some of the alternative like measures of this one, we're probably spending more on corporate uh, subsidy programs than we are on fire protection. And I think most of us agree that like fire protection is something that is an important government service. Uh, these business subsidies, not as important, and yet they're a higher priority for our tax dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money in the aggregate. I mean, eighty billion dollars—that's uh, a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Um, and the idea that it is a solvable problem, and mm -hmm. the other thing that I think. You know, people that get into politics, right? Um, it's ultimately you're you're just selling ideas, and you're talking to other elected officials about your ideas that you want them to implement. And this is a big idea, but it's what's kind of exciting about it is it is in fact doable. We can in fact, you know, banish company-specific subsidies over time to the you know dustbin of history. And we can quit wasting so much money <laughs> and quit enriching the biggest, most profitable companies with even more of our public dollars. And so, you know, you can think about, you know, small businesses and people that are, you know, investing in storefronts in, you know, uh, challenged downtowns and that those people should not be paying more so that Amazon or FedEx or Apple or Microsoft pay less. That's just wrong. And it's something we can, in fact, fix. And it's exciting to see. Um, and again, I really credit your work in Michigan to uh, find and work with uh, bipartisan leaders to say, we don't have to do this going forward. And it, you know, the other part that's interesting, it doesn't have to be, uh, I, I just feel like there's a lot of empathy to the governors that feel like they have to cut these deals in the in the week in the month that they're in to help their people and to grow their economy. Um, and it's not. It doesn't have to be a critique of uh, a governor's decision that yes, I'm going to do this in 2021 or right now. Uh, and but to say, look, understood. If I were the governor, I'd be under that pressure too. Mm -hmm. But we shouldn't do this in the future. So let's over time. Let's get rid of this stuff. And it doesn't yeah. have to be a, a, a sort of personal critique of someone's judgment that this deal at this time for their community seems like the right choice to make. Yeah. And that's why I think this that this compact in particular serves an important strategic uh, purpose so that if there are people who are reluctant to do this one and they go they do it anyway, there's also a new incentive now to sign up for this one so that they don't have to do it in the future. I think, but I, 
But I want to talk a little more about the practical business that, that you're engaged in, though, which is to get legislators to introduce and sponsor and otherwise support this compact. How exactly do you do that? Well, look, realistically, it's um, there's a one of the most important ways that I've had any uh, impact on uh, moving towards success is finding people in organizations like yours that are willing to spend your time and your center's time talking to legislators and seeing, you know, and, and people that they know and they trust um, and asking them to do it. Um, and so part of the time is, uh, you know, getting to live in, in sort of the advocacy think tank world and seeing if there's interest among those uh, different worlds to share this idea. Uh, another thing I do is, um, you know, it's, as you know, it's a lot of sort of secretarial work at trying mm -hmm. to schedule a conference call, right? <laughs> trying to get a time when the get on that calendar. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a it's you know not uh you know quantum physics, but it's required work so that the legislators can you know get uh, a little bit energized and remember that it is fun to talk to legislators from ten or twelve other states, uh, and then a lot of it is you know a lot of cold emails and cold outreach. And then asking other legislators, you know, hey, would you, you know, do you know anybody in wherever, Oklahoma, or, you know, we still don't have somebody in uh, New Mexico, right? We're looking for somebody in Kansas, stuff like that, because they do uh, know other politicians. So a lot of it is sort of, um, you know, keeping the flame alive. And, uh, you know, the nice part about this one is there's a lot of people that are very collaborative, uh, you know, sharing uh, the burden. Uh, but, you know, there's a, a million, you know, a million parents of this compact when when we eventually get it uh, into law. And eventually this is, uh, you know, something that we look back on as I can't believe we spent all that much money <laughs> for such a bad reason. There'll be thousands of legislators and hundreds of advocates and uh, thought leaders that will, you know, have a, a good deal of credit to share for making this uh, bipartisan consensus come to be. Yeah, but I wanted to dwell just on on the practical parts because I think a lot of people don't know just what really drives, you know, lawmakers to introduce legislation, uh, those committee hearings to happen, these votes to happen, which is you you be polite and you ask people. Yes. And, and you try and get some of their time. And in our cases, we don't have any money to offer you. We just hope that you think that this is a good idea. Uh, it's true. I mean, uh, uh, there's a, a Chicago alderman, Ed Burke, who's got a good line. He said, people like to be asked and they like to be thanked. Yes. And so um, I do ask a lot of legislators to uh, consider getting behind a particular bill. Uh, you know, my day job is I'm a lobbyist, uh, and so I do this for clients. So that's one reason I kind of know how this, uh, you know, can work is on behalf of clients. You know, I'm trying to pass bills all the time. And so this bill, there doesn't happen to be a client for it, but it's just a cause that's, you know, to me, I think important and impactful, uh, but also, you know, fun. And so uh, we ask legislators that are entrusted with the sacred votes of their citizens to act on their behalf whether they would be willing to consider uh, exercising their judgment to say they put their name behind this issue and introduce a bill or co-sponsor the bill or vote for the bill. 
And then there are other experts uh, like the folks over at the Mercatus Center, Dr. Farron, uh, that will literally fly around the country and testify uh, to legislators about uh, why the compact makes sense and why the status quo doesn't make a lot of sense. And that helps too. Uh, but I think, you know, for any uh, anybody that's listening uh, that hasn't happened to call your state representative or state senator or mayor or whatever, I'd encourage every citizen. I mean, if you're listening to the Overton window, you must be, you know, policy oriented citizen in the first mm -hmm. place. But I'd really encourage folks um, get in the habit of once a month calling your elected officials who actually do like to hear from you and just mm -hmm. share, hey, this is what's on my mind and ask them to file a bill or vote for a bill. Because from the politician's perspective, um, you know, they are not mind readers. They cannot know what their constituents think unless we tell them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are very few politicians that don't like to hear from it, but almost all politicians, they sincerely enjoy when their constituents tell them what they think, because then that's the only way they'll know. Yeah. And it's so much different on the state level, too, where, yeah. you know, getting calls from normal people matter a lot more than for these U.S. Senate offices where they're bombarded with their non-constituents yelling at them about something or other. Yes, yes. And it's it's harder, right? You know, a member of Congress represents almost 700,000 people, state rep, maybe 50 or 30 or 70,000 or 100,000, depending on the depending state. Depending on the state. Yes. So it's, and, you know, somebody, one of the state reps said, you know, the, the it's kind of like Fred Rogers says, you know, look for the helpers. You know, state legislators are the helpers. You know, they're like little league coaches and they teach Sunday school and they're the ones that like clean up after an event and they're the ones that, that want to help. And one of the ways they like to help is to hear from their folks about what they'd like. So I encourage you, uh, check out ntaxgiveaways.org um, and ask your legislator to, if, if your state isn't in on that list, ask your legislator to just file the bill. Dan, good luck to you in shifting the Overton window. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast by the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. Learn more about The Overton Window at www.theovertonwindow.com.